So how we start this off anyway? I mean, technically we started it off. He want to hijack the shit already. Yeah, I want to hijack the show. I want to make it the remix. Yeah. I'm gonna have all the inmates up here. Oh, all my man and them come on from jail. That's all right. They can sure. watch it from Fort Dix, you know? Yeah. Run the views up. Hey, listen, everybody got a phone in Fort Dix. Everybody got to watch it on their own phone. That way it counts as mm-hmm, each mm-hmm. individual listen, view. They don't have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Everybody got a phone. Well, they ain't got shit else to do, apparently. So, yeah. I mean, you know, a jail is a place, you know, it's a very lonely place. Of course. I think that's you know the idea saying? behind it. Right? But jail with a cell phone, that shit can change your life. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you like that's all the entertainment mm-hmm. that a guy don't get while he in jail like that's all you know my first cell phone i think i paid like two grand for in jail in jail and it was like a fucking clams start you know the clams yeah, back yeah, in the day yeah, joined you two thousand matter of fact it was a track phone and you had to buy a menace on yeah yeah I two that. grand Worth every dollar. Well, before you go too deep into the stories, <laughs> we'll officially start the podcast yes, off. Sir. Right. Welcome my father to the Man Cave Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you what so much. What episode are we on now? I, I think we just going to step away from number in the episodes. <laughs> uh, you know, because we I record them and then they kind of get released as we need them to be released. Right, so, yeah. well, anyway, congratulations on the bottle for you. Yeah, we appreciate thank that. You, thank Larry's you. dad brought a bottle yeah. of Honey Jack just to congratulate the. The podcast would definitely appreciate it. Uncle yeah. Jack's always welcome on the podcast. Of course, but just so you know, only real men only drink the regular Jack. Mm. Honey Jack is for the shorties who want to turn up in the club. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we know you don't drink whiskey, so yeah, you I wouldn't know whiskey. that. So. I wouldn't know stuff like that. Of course I'm not, not an alcoholic, so I wouldn't know things <laughs> to be particular about. So, what's that say about Larry? That's a shot at me. That's yes. a shot at me. For sure, that's no, a shot at me. No, but to be honest... We have a long history of alcoholism in my family. Yeah, same here. My grandfather was an alcoholic. You know what I'm saying? All he did was drink liquor. I'm talking about all day, all night, like liquor. But they come from down south. So, you know, the southerners, the country thing is, go to work, come home, pop the bottle, get drunk. Yeah. Or wake up, pop the bottle, get drunk, go to work. You know did, what I mean? Did you grow up down here or up here? I grew up in Philadelphia, basically. But my upbringing, younger ages, like up until like I was like 13, 14, was basically my grandfather who was born and raised in North Carolina, um, Greensboro, North Carolina. Okay. You know? And he brought all them ways to the city with them, with the farming and the dogs and, you know, all of that stuff. And it's like, you know, the gardening, all that was crazy. But the city was kind of like still a city, right? So it was like, was it weird being at home with him and he's a, a you know, down south, basically yeah. black hillbilly but then you got to go outside and you got all the city kids running around. Right, right, right. I think that's when my life all went wrong. At. Like, you know, <laughs> thinking about that stuff, like growing up in the, in the teenagers, like this guy would wake me up like five in the morning. Come on, let's go. Where we going? We going to Jersey to the garden. And it's like, bro, the guard. How old are you at this time? I'm like 12, 13, okay. you know, like that. Yeah. And it's like, go to the garden. Go to the garden for what? Because we're going to, you know, grow some, um, you know, plants and food, stuff like that. You know? Okay. And it's like, bro, it's like five and it's still dark outside. Mm-hmm. It don't matter. Like, we hitting the road. We go straight to the to the uh, horse stables on Parkside. Been there. And this guy is loading garbage bags of horsemen or... You know, we load up like five, six bags of horse shit. Mm-hmm. 
I almost, excuse my language. Yeah, no, this is a family podcast. Okay. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, say whatever the fuck you want to say. <laughs> All right. So he loads up like five, six bags of horse manure, and we on our way to Jersey to start farming like two acres, like an acre or two acres of land. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's my beginning of growing up, learning, you know, how to farm. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And it's like, this this can't be life, though. No. Like, this can't be life. Because by the time you get there, it's about six, seven in the morning. Later on, you know, the sunrise. By the time the sunrise, I'm thinking I'm back in slavery days. I'm out here farming land in this heat. I'm like, this shit is crazy. It's, it's crazy. crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Like really farming though. Yeah. Like you really, you know what I mean? You really plowing the land. You really dropping these seeds. You really digging your hand in this horse shit, spreading it across. You know, the whole um, garden and field or whatever. And, you know, you learn things from that, though. Yeah. You know, it's definitely hard work. It's very vicious hard work. So did you kind of turn to the streets as a way to, like, just not be in the house so much to deal with that? I mean, you could say that, but, like, now, so you get to be a little older and you going to school and you're starting to see people with nice things, you know, and you want nice things. You know, everybody is like basically, you know, in the teenager years now, everybody is like kind of like, you know, new sneakers. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's really where your competitive aspect comes to play because you're kind of just dumped in a cesspool of all these people and all they ever do is compare one another to, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Basically. And if you don't have what they have, that upsets you. Shit, right? it's like that today. It's it's never going to change. Yeah. yeah. So, because you wanted to chase what they had, is that you think kind of the motivation behind yeah. what you why you did what you did? Yeah, base. I can't even say so much to that, but like I remember sixth grade graduating from sixth grade uh, from elementary school. My auntie Lane, she was a big number writer at the time. What's and a number I, writer? Uh, Were you write numbers before they had the Delhi number, like the lottery and all okay. that? It used to be the street number. So you know the politicians figure. Why let the guys in the street make all the money off the numbers when we could get the Pennsylvania Pennsylvania lottery? Yeah, you know I remember that was a real thing. I remember uh, my uh, aunt, uncle, grandparents. There was the homie that would just come around the block and get everybody's numbers, numbers. give them the yeah. num- give they give him yeah. the cash. Right. He right. takes a cut. He go play the numbers for them, right. bring the numbers back. I don't know if y'all ever seen a movie Hoodlum, oh, a Lawrence Fishburne. No, good. Must street must see. Okay. It's a street must say. Yeah. Watch that. Uh, and uh, that was based on the number business was the biggest racket in New York City at one time. And this guy, black guy, Bumby Johnson, went to war with the Italian mafia over the number business. That's how big it was. Right. Yeah. So, you know, growing up, I remember my sixth grade, my auntie Lane, I graduated from sixth grade, my auntie Lane rented me a limousine. Yeah, for my sixth grade graduation. Oh, okay. And that was like, that was it. After that, it was like, you know, I got to have the top of everything from now on. That sparked up. Yeah, I got to, yeah, that, because the people was just like, I was like a celebrity, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? In the sixth grade. Yeah. That joint, he pulled that joint, I mean, right in front of the front door of the school. And everybody came out, and the teachers came out, you know, the windows all tinted and yeah. all that. And everybody came out, I was like, who is this? In the limousine, you know what I mean? And I hopped out that joint, and I had my cousin and them gold chains on. And that was it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was it. 
I'm sitting here laughing because then we're gonna have to take this whole part out. But I'm sitting here laughing because you talk, you talk with your hand, which is cool, but you banging it on the table, and he'll have to edit all of the thumps out. Yeah, edit the thumps out. It's gonna be a fucking horrible time, but it'll uh, it'll get done. Yeah. My bad, my, my bad. bad. No, you uh, you but bad. anyway, no, it, it's you're like the third person because oh, when you real? don't, yeah, when you don't podcast or you don't edit you don't podcasts and you don't yeah. think about the raw audio that you know is involved, this is listening to everything. You know what I mean? And this is directly attached, essentially, think of it to the table. Okay. Any knock, all that's picked up on all of our mics. Oh, really? And then if it doesn't, if I don't take it out or bring the volume of it down, somebody's listening to it in their car or have their headphones on, all they're hearing is boom, boom, boom. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's like you your know. fucking tire flat. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so how do you go about, that's not a problem. No, no, no. I'll figure it out. No, nah, I was just bringing it so you don't. All right, so, so you know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, but anyway, after that, you know, I had to be a star. You know mm-hmm, what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So after that situation, and then, you know, I've really got, I feel as though, like, some people have personality addictions, like, where you can get introduced to something, like money or business or anything, drugs, anything, and you become addicted to yeah. it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, that's, and I think that's cool. one of the things that I had. Like, once I seen that, mm-hmm. and how people reacted to somebody pulling up in a limo, certain things... It made me be like, you know what I mean? I got the head of top. Yeah, you wanted that lifestyle. I got the head of top. Yeah. I got a head of top every time. I can't be out here without the top because it's not entertaining. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So after that, it was like, you know what I mean? It was like, you know, I was all with the making the money thing because if you're making the money, you could do what you want, wear what you want, have what you want. Yeah. And that was the key in the hood. And then can I ask... Uh, so that now you you see the finish line of what you wanted, right? Right. Uh, so the quickest and easiest way to get about get into that finish line was just to start selling drugs and do all that. Basically, yeah, I would say that. So no, not actually, Ollie. In actuality, me growing up in the eighties, the drug game didn't transpire really to like. It had transpired, but not for me at my age. But it really transpired during like eighty seven, eighty eight. When the crack hit, okay, that's when the drug game like it, it went to another level. Yeah, like it was out there before in the '80s and all that, but actually the Puerto Ricans and the Badlands had control over a majority of drugs, especially the coke and all that. They had that shit like mm-hmm. it was crazy. Like everything down to eight from eight, eight from from Fifth Street to eight from Bella, you know, Blue Tables, they had that shit like crazy. Yeah. So, but my thing is, I grew up, I started, like, selling weed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when weed was, like, you know, I grew up selling weed on 52nd Market. You know, Nick Bags of Weed or whatever. That was the biggest thing for me as a young boy was selling weed. Was that as popular back then as it is now? Uh, that's a good question. So, it was, like, it was only one weed. It was, like, Reggie. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't 100 Browns allowed. Right. Everybody wasn't a drug dealer. It wasn't a whole lot of competition. It was like we went out there and we sold, you know, we made our money off the weed. That was the early okay. days. And it was easy. It, it was, was easy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And after that, like, I had met my sister boyfriend. Okay. And, you know, the weed was cool, but I remember one day we was in the house and he came in the kitchen and he flashed the mid on me, like 10 grand. Mm-hmm. So you gotta remember in the eighties, ten grand then was like a hundred grand. Now. Yeah, for sure. 
And I mean, ten grand now. I've, yeah, like show it to me. I'll be it. Yeah. So once he did that, he was like, "Yo, you want to make some money?" And I was like, "You know what we gonna what we gonna what we gonna do?" And he was like, "We gonna um we gonna go take some money. I'm gonna show you." So we went out on these routes. Like we used to go Montgomery County, Delaware County, different places, and do different stems and steal mm-hmm. cartons of cigarettes, VCH tapes, credit cards. That was the first hustle I really experienced coming up growing up okay. was that right there. You know what I'm saying? Because they taught you all the tricks and trades of making money. Yeah. Even before drug dealing really became profound. I'm talking about 84, 85. Because you got to remember, I was like 13, 14. Yeah. You know, he took me out, showed me different things. And then I wound up getting, I wound up getting popped. How old? Like 15. Okay. I wound up getting popped. We had this spot where we used to go and we used to steal ATM cards. So it was crazy though, but we talking about the early 80s. Yeah. So he used to say, yo, I'm gonna stand in line. When I give you the signal, go up there, hit the eject button, snatch the card and run. <laughs> crazy. It was crazy. Like this is the shit we used to do. Yeah. Because see, back then in the 80s and all. You couldn't pick up the phone, yeah, there was call a, your bank, yeah. and cancel your card. Yeah. So we used to stand there. I used to stand there. He'd give me the signal with the newspaper. Well, they some real opportunists back in the day. Yeah, right? I would just go to the machine, <laughs> hit the jack button, stack the car, and run. Yeah. But he would be standing in line behind the person. like mm-hmm. He was waiting to get in the yeah. machine, but he would actually get their code, their four-digit pin. And we would meet up, jump in the car, go. We'd go hit the ATMs. Every 12 hours, you get $400. Yeah. So we would do it on Friday nights. So by Monday, we had like $1,600 a piece. That was a good lick. Like I said, yeah. $1,600 back then was like $16,000. Yeah. Like you was up. I don't know what we was thinking or what he was thinking because he put me on the lick. But go to hit the lick, undercover police hiding in the driveway of the bank. Damn. Waiting. I don't know what it was or something... Well, he gave me the signal like someone right goes to walk away. Montgomery County police locked me up. Take me down the station. What's boom, 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 show me all these pictures. Mm-hmm. I'm like, damn. They got me dead. Like, the John people don't know. ATMs take pictures every five seconds. When you put the card in and you get to go, every five seconds they take a snapshot. Yeah. I'm right at the joint. He got the picture. I'm dead. <laughs> like a dead at the camera. I, I, I'm dead at the camera. Baseball cap on and all that. Damn. But it's me. So he takes me out. But this time, I had took a guy with me that we grew up with. He kept saying he wanted to make some money and do this, that, and all. I take some with me. They catch us both of us. We at Montgomery County Police Station. I see his mother walk past. I'm in there with the detectives and all that. So the detective finally come back in. He said, yeah, your buddy gave you up. I'm like, gave me up? What? I didn't do nothing. Like, yeah. I, I didn't even take the card on this lick. I was just there. He's like, yeah, well, you know, this, that, another. So I give him an alias and all that. They call my family. It locks me up. They take me to Gummy County. I go lay. I lay it down. So the kid that was with me, we grew up together. He kept begging me to go on licks to get some money. But he goes up there. He breaks under pressure by his mom. Tells on me. Damn. Yeah, so I get booked. They tell on me. Months later, no, they let me out. I gets out. We found another lick. This time it's the night depository. 
it's like it's like 30 bands. This is my big score. Yeah. I'm 15, but this is my big score. It's like 30 bands. We pull up at the bank, we looking for a lick. Guy comes out, big dude, track star. He comes out, he got the money bag for the depository. He going into the bank. This guy, my sister boyfriend, he give me a signal like, yo, there go the money bag right there. Mm -hmm. It's a day of a hurricane. It's blizzard outside. It's crazy. We are out for township. So I said, this dude is like, white dude, he like 6'4", <laughs> ripped, tennis sneakers on. I'm like... You ready for trouble. <laughs> I'm like, yo, this boy, like, I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm going to go. Like, I'm going to go. I'm going to get that joint. Yeah. But I'm a little dude. He don't peep it. He walking down the street. He's swinging the bag. It's a brown bag with a lock on. It got the zipper. He, ain't nobody going to fucking try me. Like. Yeah, basically. <laughs> he going this way. I'm coming this yeah. way. I come across a lot. As soon as I get to him... I let him step one step behind me, one past me. Mm -hmm. I turn, give me that joint. I'm gone. Straight through the parking lot. I don't know if I stunned him or what. He don't give up chasing nothing. Mm -hmm. I goes, I runs, I jump in the car. We out. Whole police force is out this day because of the blizzard. This dude pulls the car over. Never believe this. It's like the shit out of the movie. This dude jumps out the car, runs over to the police car and says, a guy in my backseat just robbed somebody. No. <laughs> On everything I love? So so that happens. I imagine you go back to jail. Straight back to jail. So <laughs> and get two for two for being right. ratted on. Right. Bro. Why not stop there? Why why keep I'm going? fifteen, bro. I don't know really know, understand at this time. What was your state of mind after that second situation? No, listen. I'm too young to even realize that. People telling on me. I don't mm -hmm. even realize. Like, the rat game ain't even about ratting at the time. I'm 15. I don't even realize really what's going on. I'm just out here on the money. I guess book. This time, they detain me. Yeah. I go to Delaware County. They they ain't let me out this time. Mm -hmm. They give me a year at Glen Mills. Juvie. Yeah. They give me a year to go to Glen Mills. So I'm like, I'm still not realizing, you know, what life is about. Because I think, like, even with the juveniles today... Sometimes they don't realize, you don't realize what you're doing, what's going on, because you kind of like ain't figured out life and how things work yet. Yeah. So I get up Glen Mills, 12 months. I'm up there. I do a couple of months. I'm on chills, though. But now I'm starting to educate myself about people because I get to Glen Mills. And it's all 52 states. Mm -hmm. And that's the most surprising thing. I'm near Baltimore, D.C., L.A., New York. And I'm like, damn, I'm here with... The whole United States. So now you're starting to meet other people. Yeah. There's juveniles that's arrested. It's like the juvenile feds is what I call it. Because now everybody is there. Mm -hmm. So you're getting to learn different things, different things. You know. And uh, I do my 12 months. Well, before I get to do my 12 months, they like, the judge said you got to get a GED before you can even come home or whatever. You're not coming home. But if I can miss my date because... I fucking failed the GED test by like three points or something. Yeah. And they come to me like, no, you're not getting released, bro. You, you got to get that GED. You can't leave till you get the GED. I'm like, bro, I failed by three points. They're like, listen, this is what we're going to do for you. We're going to let you take it over the section that you failed, try to, you know, get the points or whatever so you can get released. Go back, I take it over, I pass it, I get my GED. They're like, all right, you out here. And this is how young and dumb I am. So as I get back to the town, I get back to the streets. 
Same boy that jumped out the car? Ain't no way. Same boy, bro. <laughs> same boy. My sister boyfriend. Same boy. He's like, bro, game change. We ain't doing that shit no more. This is what it's about. Pulls out a knot of money and a knot of coat. He's like, bro, we got posts all through the town. We getting money. He pull up. He in a brand new 325 BMW. They have you... Hypnotized with the bread. Every time he wanted you to do something, time. just pulled out a every stack and you was time. in. Every time. <laughs> Pulls out the stack. He in a brand, he in a brand new 325 BMW. Mm -hmm. Nobody in the hood. It's only other two. It's only other two, like two or three cats that got BMWs, Audis, and Broncos and all that. Boy, pull up. He got he got a brand new 325, all white with momos on. Yeah. I'm like. He doing something right in your I'm head, like, right? bro, I'm like, I'm amazed by this shit. Yeah. But I had already read in Glenn Mills, mm -hmm. I seen the Time Magazine, and he had a crack vial on it, and he was talking about New York City. Mm -hmm. Shit was off the meter. So I get back to the town. He's like, look, we got two posts already right here. I ain't worried about nothing. Just handle the money, handle the bread, handle the work, stay on top of the workers. I jumped right back in the game. Would you say this was like the start of kind of like Leading up to your bid, like your your definitely, life. definitely. What was what was like your life like? Were you were you staying at home or were you just kind of? Like I was still at home? my grandma's. Okay, so you basically bouncing in and out. Yeah, been in and out, in and out. Okay. So now I come out and I see this. I see this situation. You know, these boys. It was a couple of boys, like three or four boys in my neighborhood. Brand new cars, Audi five thousand. Mm -hmm. Nobody got Bronco. Nobody got. Yeah. BMW, nobody got, you know, they getting this money. So now I'm like, you know, I need them. You know what I mean? They put me straight on because they know I'm a hustler. And now we get into this dollar. We get into this bread. They give me a post. I'm running the post. Now I start to see, you know, you don't make three grand a day at no job back then. Like yeah. I said, three grand a day back then in the drug trade, that was some bread. Yeah. And I'm coming off in the juvie like that. You know, not the cash, we moving it. But at the time, this is still early 87, we still selling powder. How how long was your like once the last time you went to jail, how long was that sentence? Like, was it 17 or 18 years? How long was My that? sentence was 18 years. 18 years. Right. And right. once they said that, did you post bail? No, ain't no bail. No, no bail. Ain't no bail on Rico. <laughs> <laughs> ain't no bells on Rico so you, for violence. Everybody go to jail. And and when you hear that, what was your first thought? Well, see, when they came to indict me, mm -hmm. you got to remember, I was already upstate doing five to ten for a shoot, for a ten. So you weren't even out when they picked you up? No, with okay. the federal, no, okay. not with the federal case. I was already in jail doing, I pled guilty to a five to ten upstate okay. for somebody. I gave this dude some work, and uh, he ducked out on me, mm. and he ain't want to pay. I finally found out where he was at. Mm -hmm. Went to the crib, waited for him, attempted to kidnap him, but the clown that I had with me, he foiled the play. Yeah, he foiled the play. Oh, yeah, back then, by a bunch some, of dickheads. Low key, <laughs> basically, yeah, basically. <laughs> like, it's crazy yeah. because the night before we went down there, I, I cased the joint out. I'm like, boy, be here tomorrow. He ain't here tonight. But he, I always catch him on an early bird. Yeah. I done did this a hundred times. He owe me 21000 I want every dime of it. I want every dime of that money. I guess there the next morning, he gone already. I miss him. 
So I'm like, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. Mm-hmm. He finally pulls up, brand new Benz. Probably he done bought with my bread. <laughs> he pulls up, brand new bed, jumps out. He don't even see me. I'm tucked in the joint on the side of the joint. He gets out the car. I pulls out. I walks up on him. Bro, hand them keys over. Mm-hmm. He tries to pull out. He got a gun on him. Yeah. So I hit him with my gun. My and my man, we rushes him. We takes the gun he got. Mm-hmm. When he realized the situation, he like, huh, huh, take the car. I tell my other man, go ahead, take the car, bro. I'll meet you back out west. So now me and the boy on the sidewalk, I'm like, how you think, how you thought that was going to go? Like, where my money at? Yeah. He trying to, you know, he trying to talk me around the situation, whatever, whatever. So now at the time, this is why I don't get high. At the time, I'm messing with that servant impulse. I ain't even high this day, but I was high the day, the day before. He talks to me like he got some bread in the house that he going to give me right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm high. I'm not thinking. I didn't already took his burner. I walks him back in the house. We gets in the house. He like, I got you. He goes in the house. But who does this unless somebody go in the house? He goes in the house, the broad that he's with, gives him another burner. He runs back downstairs with the gun out, told my call the board, tell him to come get my um bring my car back. I'm looking at him like, You serious? I'm looking at him like, you serious? You gonna try to play this game? Before I could go like this. Mm-hmm. He shot me six times. He airs me out. Shot me six times. With a net ass 25 automatic. I finally backs up into the door. I bounces out the door. I get my gun out. And now I start shooting him. I got him on the ground now. I'm about to... Because I'm already delirious from him shooting me. Yeah. The gun jams. My arm not moving no more. My arm don't work. I'm clicking the jaw. I'm trying to get the joint to unjam. I only got one hand. Gun jams. I turn around. We leaving out. His girl done called the police. I'm like. So you shot and you're going to jail. Shot and you're going to jail. Double L. We get to the. Now he follows me out to the elevator. We're in an apartment building downtown. I go stand at the elevator. Man, this nigga arguing. Because I'm telling him like, bro, you be dead right now if this gun ain't jammed. He's like, yo, I just want my car back. I'm like, bro, you're never getting the car back. I'm waiting on all this conversation happening. I'm waiting on the elevator to come up. Yeah. We on like the 13th floor or something. Elevator door pop open. Nothing but the police. Guns drawn. Everybody on the ground. I tell them, yo, somebody just robbed me and my man. Y'all letting them get away. They went down the fire escape. They're like, everybody on the ground. I got the gun in my got the gun in my hand. <laughs> but I'm th- my thing is, like again, somebody just tried to rob me and my man. Yeah. And they went down the fire escape, bro. They locks us up. Get to the hospital. They, they was like, we don't give a fuck what you say. Yeah, we don't give a fuck what you say. We're going to jail. <laughs> get to the hospital. I'm in critical. I'm punching. The jaw punched my lung. Went through my arm, went through my chest, punching my lung. It got tubes and shit ran all down my throat. So I'm sitting there like, man, I'm going to die. So he's like, you got any... Police coming there, you want to make any statements or not? I said, no, nah, I'm going to die just like this. I'm going to die just like this. Ain't like, you know, you cool. You're going to make it too sucking the blood. When you get your lung punctured, it's like crazy because the blood rushes to your stomach. Yeah. And you can't breathe. But I really thought I was going to die that day because I couldn't breathe. 
So comes around, come back to life three times. I'm back. I'm back at it. So I'm sitting there. Okay, Jesus. Yeah, I'm back to life. I'm sitting there. I'm in a hospital bed. No visits, no nothing. Handcuffed to the bed. Yeah. Now I'm really mad. I've been in this job for like a week. So I'm now I'm arguing with the hospital people. I'm like, listen, y'all gotta let me see my mother, my grandson. Somebody gotta come up here mm-hmm. and see me. So finally they let me get a phone call. I called my lawyer. Bro, get up here, bro. I'm in this joint for like a week. No visit. I don't have no contact, no phone, nothing. They won't give me nothing. Gets the lawyer up there. I give them everybody number. I tell them, look, tell the situation, man. Just get me out of this hospital. Give me a bond. He's like, I got you. They're trying to keep me at the hospital for longer, but I'm like, I don't even want no more medical treatment. Yeah. At this point, I've been there for like a week and a half. I don't even want medical treatment no more. They're like, you don't want medical treatment? They're like, no. They was like, why did I say that? Bro, they takes everything off of me, takes me downstairs in a wheelchair, throws me straight in the paddy wagon, bro. Yeah, that shit was keeping you out of jail. <laughs> I'm shot up and everything. Now I'm in pain. They drive, takes me straight to Aphon Race. No medication, no nothing. Yeah. So I get over Aphon Race. That's still with the precinct? No, Aphon Race, but the, the roundhouse back then. Okay. That was like a big cesspool. Okay. You in that joint for three days. Cheese sandwiches and water. It's just vicious. Like, vicious. Only thing good about that joint is a phone on the wall. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing. I jump straight on the phone, call my folks. Situation. And what are they saying? What's the family saying? The family is trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> I'm telling them the play went bad. The play went all the way bad. It went left. But now that I'm thinking, you know, as I got older and all that, I tell dudes, don't do drugs, bro. Yeah. You can wake up and do some things off of drugs. You wake up. And your whole life would be in a bad situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's how I look at my life. I was cool back then. And still, I started doing certain things. And that shit, just, it affects your brain. You can't think. Because yeah. I would have never made that play. It would have never went like that if I was thinking like I've been thinking yeah. through the game. I had never been arrested to them. Never. My whole criminal career, I had never been arrested as an adult to them. So when that thing went bad, I goes to jail. I get my bond. They give me like a 100 grand bond. My folks on deck, they bail me out, come home. Situation, it's a new situation. Get to this witness. Get this shit straight now. Give him that nut-ass car. Tell him the fuck out of here. Tell him to get the fuck out of the city. Give him that stupid-ass car. After this case over, we'll deal with all that. Goes to fucking court, man. Got my man there. One of the chicks that he used to deal with that was close with. Gives her the car, gives her the fucking title, gives her the key. This weirdo, you know what he does? He goes, takes this shit to the DA. Gets me rearrested on a tampering with a witness. Damn. Locks me back the f- back up on a day on my court date. Back in jail. This shit is getting weird. What's up with these people with this running to the DA's office situation? They got the press on. Because my relations with certain people and the organized crime thing, they got the press on. They want us off the street. They're going to do whatever they got to do to get us off the street. They're going to do whatever they got to do. Yeah. They're going to cut all corners. You're get trying you to make an example out of you. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, boom, they books me again. Gives me another bell, 25000 Go pay that. I get back out again. So, now I'm to wit's point with the whole situation. Boy, like, man, send message. I'm not coming to court. You ain't got to worry about it. You ain't got to worry about it. Don't worry about it. All right, cool. I let it ride out. 
Goes back to trial again. He don't show. We pressing the course. Must be tried 30 days. Goes back to court again. He's there. He pops up like toast. He like toast. I'm there. I'm like, I can't. I, I can't believe. I can't. He pops up like toast, bro. I'm there. I'm so mad. The girl that I had was a witness. She don't show. Because my thing is, now, after talking to the lawyer, they like, we got it out for you. I'm like, what's the out? They like, it's a shootout with you and him. He got a gun. He shot you. You shot him. What's the dispute? He's saying it was some money. I'm saying it was the check. So my play was, I'm going to trial, but my witness don't show up. Right. The chick don't show up. She sell me out. I get to trial. I'm looking stupid. She don't show up. So the Lord like, what you want me to do? I'm like, you know, man, at this point, I'm done with everything. I'm just fed up. I'm stressed. I'm fed up. Uh, I'm just stressed. I said, what's on the table? They like 12 and a half to 25. I'm like, nah. Ain't doing 12 and a half to 25 on this job. He like, I'm going to work the numbers. I'm like, work it. He comes back. He like, yeah, I'm getting you five to 10, bro. I had you in a halfway house three and a half years. I'm looking at the situation. I'm like, got a couple of hours. We got some property. We did some things. I think I can retire this jersey on that three and a half number. I'm gonna go lay down, get my, you know, get my mind right. I come back out. I might do it all over again. I takes the play. No nothing. You go straight up state. You go straight up state from there. Mm -hmm. Right after the play. They dragged me straight out the courtroom. Gets up state. I'm up state like nine months. I call home. Called my man on three way. He like, yo. What was the plea for? For how long? Five to ten. Okay. Upstate. Gotcha. I mean, you do five years, five years parole. Okay. I can live with that. I got some bread. I got some property. Yeah. I did some things. I lived good. So I'm like, this is the price you pay. I'm going to go do this little nut ass five to ten. I'll see y'all on the rebound. Okay. I'll be back out. So I guess upstate, I'm up there nine months. Call home. It's Sunday. I talk to my man, Rich. I'm like, what's up? He like... You're drawing all on the front page of Delhi News. I'm like, what's all on the front page of Delhi? He was like, it's an indictment. You've been indicted. It's all on the front page of Delhi News. I'm like, bro, I'm in jail. I can't be indicted. He like, bro, it's all on the news. You're getting indicted. What, called, did, what did it say? What, did, what was the headline? Headline is 36 indicted for uh, distribution of narcotics on the mm -hmm. JBL. Mm -hmm. So in my mind is, how can I be indicted I'm already in jail. What do you, you been mean? booked for nine months now? I've been booked for nine months. I ain't did nothing. You know what I mean? So I called my grandmothers. She said the same thing. It's all over the news. You got indicted. This, that, number. So I said, no, they indicted the wrong guy. That's another Larry Brown. Mm -hmm. Couldn't be me because I'm already in jail doing time. For, you know what I mean? Yeah. Doing my time. They like, no, they got your picture as you. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, here we go all again. So like three days went past. My counselor called me. He like, um, Pack up, you going to court. I'm like, bro, y'all got the wrong guy. They like, no, it's you. We got your name, number, your social, mm -hmm. birthday, and everything. I'm like, all right, cool. Packs up, take me down to um, they taking me to Greatersville. At the time I'm at like Greensburg, they're taking me down to Greatersville. So I get on the bus. When I get to Smithville, the transit spot, everybody is there. All my co-defendants. It's like 20-something people. 
already there. So I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like how this situation work. I didn't deal with the state, but I never dealt with the feds. Right. So y'all, everybody going in different bubbles. So they finally put us all in one bubble to go to greatest foot, you know, state institution or whatever. So we get to sit down, figure out what's going on. So my guy, he like basically explained the situation. Like basically the feds been on us. They've been trying to indict us. And this is the situation. But I'm like, I'm already in jail. Like, what, what are you talking about? They want yeah, more jail? Yeah. They're like, yeah, they want more more jail. So I'm like, all right, it is what it is. We go, we get on the bus, we go to Greatest Foot. We get the Greatest Foot. Sit there, the next day we come. You're going on court, you're going on rip pack out again. So now we get on another. We go to Sally Port, and this shit's starting to look weird like some movie shit. I looks out there, they got three vans, federal vans, and they got the U.S. Marshals and the FBI all outside the jail, like holding M16s and shit, right? Damn. So I'm like, man, this shit is getting crazy. This shit getting crazier by the day. Mm -hmm. But I keep telling the COs, no, they got the wrong guy going to you court. You still playing that card? That's not, they not told you that, now. <laughs> bro. This got not, you. No, bro, this is not yeah, for me, yeah, bro. Yeah. You got the wrong guy. Yeah. You got the wrong guy. You keep taking the wrong guy to these court dates. <laughs> so I'm looking at the shit. They put us in three vans. Hit the sirens, and now they got two cars. They got a car in the front and a car in the back. So they blow every light from greatest for the Sixth Market. Take me in a tunnel, because I had never been there at that time to the situation. So I get down there, I'm asking them, what is all this for? Like, y'all having a parade? Is Mumbers parade today or something? Like, what is all these cops and all this for? Yeah. They talking about, no, we heard it was going to be a big escape today from the correctional institution. So I said, who's going to escape? Larry because Brown. I, I, I'm like, who's going to escape? Like, what, who, where are they escaping from? Yeah. You got shackles on my legs. You got cuffs with a box. You got L-16s. You got all these people. Who's escaping? Yeah. They said, we're just making sure. I said, all right, no problem. So we get down there, give everybody an indictment, get the job, start turning pages. I don't see me in here. I don't see my name in here. Mm -hmm. I get to a certain page, like page 70. Larry Brown... On such-and-such such date, served nine kilos to this guy, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, my sister boyfriend. The same guy. So he got you locked up three times, basically. He got me locked up twice. <laughs> same guy. Under the cooperation of drug enforcement agencies. He's still your sister uh, boyfriend at the... Like, huh? And he's still your sister boyfriend? <laughs> when? After all this, they now, still together? No, no, back then I'm talking about. He done locked you up twice. They still together? No, nah, no. Nah. Okay. I was about nah. to say, like, what the fuck? At the time, you know what's crazy, though? Hey, some more movie stuff. More movie stuff. I get a call one day. Close friend of mine, family, or whatever. This was when I was on the street. I kind of, like, figured out the situation, and they had called me. It was like, um, he wanted to talk to me. He was upgraded for the state prison. He was like, you want to talk to me? Yeah. This guy. And uh, he was like, yo, tell him to go to a phone that's clean. I want to talk to him. I got some information I want him to hear. And this was when I was on the street. I was on the bell for the shooting out on the bell. Yeah. So he like, um, yo, um, finally gets on the phone to set the collecting on. He like, yo, you served an uh, undercover informant, some coke or whatever. So I'm like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? He was like, man, you served the undercover informant. They got the shit recorded and everything. So I'm like, who 
who the fuck? Like, what are you talking about? I couldn't figure out what he was talking about at the time. But I finally pinpointed the situation. Mm -hmm. He actually told me that the guy, my sister boyfriend, mm -hmm. was working with DEA. And I had served him coke. And the only way he could have knew that was one, if he was an informant or he had some type of relationship with the guy. Yeah. So, kind of like at that point, I knew it wasn't good. But th what I couldn't figure it out, being younger back then, you really didn't understand how the federal government worked. Because the, at the time, we're talking about 1990, mm -hmm. the federal government used, used to like target guys like the mob, the racketeering, this, that, and other. At that time, they really wasn't targeting younger drug dealers and certain things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when he was like, this is the feds, this, that, and other. So speed forward, I get down there, I get the indictment, I read through it, go to the page, this guy in there, say I he was cooperating with the DEA. I sold him the drugs, this, that, and other. I'm reading it while I'm reading the indictment. Two agents come down, <clears throat> call me out. Like, let me speak to you. So I goes over. He's like, um, you're only doing a five to ten. You want to help yourself? And I'm like, I'm gonna help myself how? Like you got cheese steaks down here with fries and like soda, Pepsi's like, yeah, but in order to get that meal, you gonna have to, you know, what you gotta do. I said, man, I'm not. I love how they do that. I said, I'm not that I said, I'm not, I'm not that guy. Get a bag of food in front He said, of listen. <laughs> he said, listen, you? <laughs> you only doing you only doing five years. Mm -hmm. They said we're gonna we're gonna have you out. Like, we're gonna have you out of me. You only doing five years. You ain't got no time. But he said, I guarantee you. He said, this is the nails in the JBM coffin. He said, you sure you good? I said, yeah, man, I'm good. And they walked away. And I never forget them words, though. He said, these are the nails in the JBM coffin. Yeah. And I said, damn, this is crazy. I said, this probably is the nails. I wonder if he got a nail gun or he using a hammer. <laughs> but this is a, this is a rap. Well, he definitely used the hammer. Yeah. How, how old were you when, when that happened? I was I just turned 21. You just turned 21. So yeah. you did 18 years as a 21-year-old. Yeah. How do you think like you survived like being like you were young as hell? I know, but I look at it like I've always looked at it like I looked at it back in the day when we was hustling. Like only the celebrities did the shit that we was doing and lived like we did. Like when we was out there hustling, the rappers looked up to us. Like, the guys that used to come to me, like, trying to get me invest in record labels and the, the rappers and all them, I looked at them like they was clowns, basically. Because mm -hmm. it's like, like, what do you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was the 80s, like, and Philly really wasn't popping too heavy with the music, you know what I'm saying? Until, like, Will Smith, like, I think the first, first I think it was, like, Schoolie D., and then Will Smith came around and you know, he jumped out. He jumped out with some, he jumped out with a couple of, I, they getting money now. Mm -hmm. I start seeing them pull up in Benzes and Vets and all that. But before all that, we had all that. We had all the Benzes, all the Vets, all the, we had all the cars and we had all the girls. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was like, when they used to come with that stuff, I'm like, what do you, you know what I mean? We were the, we was the celebrities at that time. Like, we was the real celebrities, you know what I mean? Really, the real estate was my play. Because during, like, my juvenile days, I had, when I got out on my juvenile days, I had attended this school. It was called the Delaware Valley School of Trades. 
and I was taking up building renovations. And that was going to be my out too. Like, and again, mm-hmm. I looked at it like, if I could get this money and buy these properties, then that would be, I would be cool. You know yeah. what I mean? But like when you're at a young age like that, it's a lot of blurry. It's a lot of thin lines with a whole lot of stuff. Because you don't know everything. Yeah, you don't know everything. And it's not, ain't no internet. Ain't no YouTube. Yeah, ain't no Google. You can't look it up. <laughs> uh, ain't no, you got one brain. Right. And you got a couple dudes around you that know some stuff. Right. So I'm looking at the old heads. You know, they getting buildings. They getting real estate. They getting houses. So I'm looking at that. I could I could do that. So I had a little experience from um, Delaware Valley School of Trades. And I started, you know, getting the properties or whatever, putting them together or whatever. But then, again, the feds came and they ruined my party, bro. Like they came and ruined my party with the with the sentence, you know what I mean? Yeah. With the whole indictment thing. And I and I told him, I kept telling him, it's not me, you got the wrong guy. Yeah. And like, you know I me, mean? Larry Brown's in the city. Like, you got the wrong guy. They had a coach named Larry Brown that was the coach of the Sixers. It could have been him at the time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it was like, no, they was like, no. We got people that's going to testify yeah. to the fact that it was you. So when you when you got booked for the 18, yeah. right? Obviously, you're not thinking, you know, this is it. You have to come up with a plan for those 18 years yeah. and then afterwards, right? Like right. when you was in there, what were you trying to figure out how to do or come up with a strategic plan to fix your and life when you get out of you prison? You know what the crazy part about that is? Like, going from the streets to the penitentiary, I had already, you know, I used to go see my comrades on regular visits or whatever, mm-hmm. the ones that already was booked or whatever, and send them packages, care packages, whatever. So my whole thing was always stay in tune. So I used to go to the prison like once a month mm-hmm. or get a girl's cars and money and stuff to go to the prison. Okay. Because believe it or not, like, greatest for... Was like a world of his own. Like this John was like, like if you had bread, you was gonna live good. Yeah. Like you was gonna live good. So my whole thing is like, I ain't come here to be this another inmate. Right. I ain't come here just to be another inmate. I come in here this John to live good. That's mm-hmm. what we gonna do. Mm-hmm. We gonna come in this John. We gonna see what it's hitting for, and we gonna do this time comfortably. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that was the whole twist because it's like when you somebody on the street. When you go to jail, depending on what type of person you is, you're going to be somebody in the jail. Mm-hmm. So if you got a couple of hours, you got a couple of connections, I'm going to make this bit comfortable. Yeah. I want my folks to be comfortable on the street. I'm going to be comfortable here. And whatever's necessary to do, that's what we're going to do. Okay. So it's like, you know, you thinking, like people say, oh, this person going to jail, this doesn't matter. But now you're going into another whole business entity mm-hmm. where you just in here... Doing more criminal shit, making more money. Yeah. And that's what be crazy about it. Did you get some kind of degree or certification while you was locked up? I got a PhD oh, get the in out. criminology. If that's how if that's the word. <laughs> listen, listen. You know, it's different levels of education. Of course. You got juvenile, mm-hmm. county jail, state jail, and federal jail. Mm-hmm. Each stage of jail you get a different degree. That's what people don't know. Like, you in a county, that shit, you just playing. You get upstate, that's more like the muscle, bro, niggas ain't thinking. Mm-hmm. 
These niggas up there, they on some nut shit. West Philly, South Philly, North Philly, that bullshit. They on that bullshit. Yeah. You get into the feds, now you into an international room. When I say internet, everybody there. Mm-hmm. The governors, the mayor, the accountants, Enron, the mafia, the Mexican mafia, the Jamaicans, the Cubans, everybody there. So now you're starting to see, now this is a whole bigger world that you never knew existed. So now you're starting to get educated on everything. And one thing I like about the feds, when you get to the feds, now you're at that higher that higher, higher level where you're starting to meet the real players in the world that was really getting money. Yeah. Like the real people, like the real, like I said, Enron guys and, you know. Because feds ain't coming after you unless you're making that real money. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what, And I kept telling them that. I'm like, I wasn't getting no money. Why y'all keep, why y'all keep bothering me? I wasn't getting no, I'm nobody. And then a dude taught me something that I never knew. He said, just like these dudes now, they do anything for clout. Mm-hmm. He said the same way with the feds. They come and lock people, certain people up, put your picture on TV. That's how they get their clout. Facts, actually. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. you never look at it like yeah. that, but they get promotions behind their clout. I mean, it's their job. The same I respect way you it. try and build your record on the street, they try and build their same record. I respect yeah. I respect it. You know? So the business aspect, you go there in the feds. One thing I like about the feds, dudes highly educated. They could teach you things. So they used to have, they are done away with all the school in the feds and the state and all that. They done away with all that. So these dudes in the feds actually came up with their own budget, their own money, and the feds gave them a classroom at a time every day where they can meet and teach you business based on their own pockets, based on your own situation. So you had dudes that was there that, would come and dedicate their time, no pay, no nothing. All they had is classroom. You bought your own pen and paper, and they would teach you about business every day. Mm. And it was crazy because when I first went, I took it as, I didn't take it serious. Yeah. You know what I mean? But when I got in there, I met some of these dudes that work on the stock exchange and worked at Enron and all these different places that was teaching these classes. It made me realize that these dudes is really you know, they educated on another level of business, you know what I'm saying? That you would never meet as an average person in the hood. You're Mm -hmm. not going to meet these type of people. You know what I mean? But because they're in these situations, that's how they way they call themselves giving back to, you know, society or the system or whatever. So, you know, I had a lot of good teachers in the system that highly educated. They sharp. You know what I mean? There was some sharp dudes in there. And um, so when you get into the feds, that's a whole other ballgame where you like preparing yourself to go back in society on some business type stuff. Yeah. But in the state, it's just like a bunch of savages. Yeah. You know so when I mean? you, uh, now you educated yourself while you was in jail. Right. right. You, you've planning on how to change what you're doing. Right. And, uh, you know, correct everything and live your life the right way. Right. Um, when you got out, I mean, what was that process like? Just trying to undo what you already done and trying to build yourself in, in a new society, the way that, you know, everything, 18 years is a long time. Right, Things have right, changed right, right. dramatically. I just look at it like when you got good folks mm-hmm. and they hold it down, that's the benefits of the situation. And I feel as though that's a good situation. That's the benefit of being a good person when you're on the street hustling. You know what I'm saying? You're on the street hustling, you're taking care of everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I need one new car, huh? What you want? They want the house remodeled, huh? 
You taking care of everybody. You making sure everybody on the street cool. You making sure your folks cool. So when something go wrong, you got their support. Ante, you know what I mean? Yeah. Situation. We hit. We need to do this, that, and other. We need to do that. And you hoping that people reciprocate that love mm-hmm. from when you was hustling and you took care of everybody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You got to invest in the right people. So you getting them situations, the bad situations, you got people that you can call on. Because I go in the system and I see people, you know, they was getting a lot of money and they was doing a lot of things. You know, people that was millionaires. And it's like, bro, you can't, you can't make commissary this week. You can't, you can't call nobody or your folks, you know what I mean? They asked you out to that point. It's get crazy at the years. Yeah. Like people really turn their back on people. They really rob people. Your own family. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Like, okay. it just get crazy. Like, it's just really crazy. So when you got out, why did you choose to start businesses for yourself? Why not, like, go out and get a job as a contractor or, you know, whatever you had picked up while you were inside? Why be an entrepreneur? I look at it like, you know, and some dudes say, always used to say in business class, the first day he said this, it's like 30 of us in the classroom in a fast. He's like, everybody in here is a great entrepreneur who sold drugs or whatever they did to get money. There's guys in here that made millions selling drugs. Mm-hmm. Y'all all great entrepreneurs. But y'all like one thing. And I'm like, what's that? He said, the educational part about business that was needed to go into the legitimate aspect of business. You selling drugs, you entrepreneur. Yeah. You can make money on the legitimate side only if you understand the legitimate aspect of making a business for yourself. So, you so that took, always stuck with me. So you took the skills that you had developed selling drugs and just replaced the drugs and kept the same skills and just built it that way. Built it that way. It's the same thing. Like a lot of guys don't understand. If you can sell drugs, then you can almost sell anything. I look at it like, especially in certain areas... It's all about how you promote yourself, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what a lot of people... Like, I, I tell all people, like, even with your kids and all that, when they get a certain age, you know, get them to understand finance, money, and business. And that's one thing of the things I think... Matter of fact, that's one thing I need you to do, y'all too. I need to step to the Philadelphia Board of Education and tell them that y'all need to implement. Like, when I was in class, they had economics and all that. But this kids need to understand... The aspect of business, because a lot of them be dumbfounded. You give a kid, so I give my son some money, he just go blow the auto money. Like, why do we need to do that? Why do y'all need to do that? Yeah, why do we need to go and do that? No, I mean, because I, I don't have enough time to do it myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I need y'all to do we've that. We've had a brief conversation before about, about it. Just the idea that um, the the public education system doesn't teach. People how to manage money. They don't no, teach them how to don't. build themselves financially. I just feel as though, like when you hit the seventh grade, you know, you start to try to find your identity. Yeah. And find out who you is. And if you don't know about money, at certain age, you don't know nothing. Thanks. I look at grown people. You know, call me for apartments and rooms. You sixty five, you seventy. You want to rent a room. So I'm looking at your situation like. Bro, what was you doing for the last 50 years? Why so you got a house? judging old people. Like, <laughs> why you, bro? No, I'm fucking around. Like, what, what, are you, what, are you, what was you doing? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. My grandmother bought her house for 12 grand. But you know how, uh, like, 
you could blame those people for not building themselves up if you want, but somebody like a minority that fully understands finances and can uh, successfully build themselves up, that's a rarity. That's that's not a common thing. You think so? A hundred percent. And you know the difference is like your household. Mm-hmm. Like most times, you know, minorities are growing up, single parent household, whatever. Or if you're an immigrant, maybe your family comes over, they have little or nothing. They don't really understand how the economy over here works, or maybe they do. But I know in my situation, I didn't have anybody in my house to teach me about credit or about money. You know what I mean? Like as opposed to you know, some of my coworkers, that's all they talk about at dinner yeah. is you know, oh, we're gonna we're gonna invest in this, we're gonna do this. Oh, well, what about the books stock. I sent you from jail? As a as a what six seven year old? Yeah, you were supposed to be reading. Like, <laughs> okay. like I'm sending this guy like family therapy session. <laughs> I think I need to because you said you had nobody educating you. All I did was send you business books. I mean, Th- that's it, all you sent me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right, let's let's redirect it. Yeah, uh, right. we are going to try to wrap it up. So okay. what I want to do is give you. Uh, if you could give advice to younger men who are somewhat following in your old footsteps, right? They think the only way I can make money, the finish line, is to to have the flashy jewelry, to have the nice car, right? A lot of men uh, think the same way, right? That's what they want. And they're going to follow the, the, the path that you follow to try to get to that finish line. If you can give advice to younger people who have that thought process... What would you tell people to try to divert them from following the same mistakes that you fell into? I mean, talk to somebody who you trust that can educate you on business. You know, now with the internet stage and, you know, Google and YouTube, it's a lot of information out there. Like, I use that tool myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would never pay a consultant. I can go right on YouTube, type in what I want to know. Or Google it and find out what I need to find out. Yeah. But I'm just saying, educate yourself is about constantly being determined and driven to educate yourself on different things that can help you build wealth. Okay. You know, that's the key. Okay. You know, the drug game is, is that shit is over. That shit is, it's a wrap for that. You know, the money is into capitalism, you know, and entrepreneurism. That's, that's, that's the key right there. Yeah, I mean, once Those the people. fucking, the government was like, shit, we selling weed. That's when you know you probably yeah. stop. You should probably right. stop. <laughs> yeah. nah, but I will say, like, my dad's greatest attribute and something I've kind of learned from, like, being around him and working with him is, like, his tenacity and not taking no for the first answer. Like, you know, I worked with him a little bit when I was younger, and, you know, he'd send me on these what I thought were dummy missions. And, you know, it might seem like that at first because – like when you're talking to these people at offices or businesses, whatever, they're saying, oh, we can't do that. Or, oh, we don't do that here. Or, oh, you call in the wrong department, whatever. Yeah. And I go back to him. I'm like, listen, this is what they said. You know, I don't I don't know how to get around this. He's like, all right, we'll figure it out. And that's literally what I learned how to do was like, all right, I hear a no, but then I look for the answer somewhere mm-hmm. else. Or I learned to ask the question in a different way so that I can get the information. So you help, that I need. it helped you develop problem solving skills. Right. Right. And that's the key. Okay. That's the key. Okay. You know, I always call it problem solution equation. You know, and I never was good at geometry. But if you have a problem and you're trying to come figure out what the solution is, mm-hmm. you know, it's this is another equation in all actuality. Yeah. 
You know, you got the problem, figure out how to fix it. Look, I just want to thank you for coming on. Uh, like I said, we're going to try to wrap it up. We're over an hour. We usually try to keep it within the 60 minutes. Right. Um, but I, a lot of what you said, I mean, I enjoyed the story. I hope that what you said in the end or even throughout can help educate somebody else. Right. Um, because, you know, a lot of people don't have figures, like you said, somebody to teach them, right. somebody to guide them in the right direction. Uh, so for you to come on here and just talk about your experience in the past, you know, doing real time, de dealing with the shit that you dealt with, uh, you know, hopefully somebody can listen to that and be like, well, fuck, if that's what he went through, I'm not trying to go through the same shit. Right. You know what I mean? That's another thing. When I get time, I'm going to work on it. I came up with an idea. It's going to be called, it's going to be a nonprofit organization called the Ex-Felon Business Alliance. You go to jail, you get out. You want to educate yourself on business? We're going to build a platform for that. Okay. So Let's people go. can actually get education from other people who's been successful as ex-fellows. That's amazing because, I mean, I feel like once you come out of prison, obviously there's a, there's like a stamp on you, right? Nobody want to work with you. 100%. Right? People think that once you're a criminal, always a criminal, right? So I think to create something like that where you can help people who are trying to fix their past and trying to get in the right you know direction that's amazing so you know i hope you do go through with that because that can help a lot of people man yeah no doubt well thank you sir for coming on to the man cave podcast co-host george you were a pleasure to work with as always oh, man, thank you i mean we got uncle jack here <laughs> to make everything better right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that again mm -hmm. man absolutely Look, oh, man, no problems. we're gonna try to sign off i appreciate everybody who came on listen to the podcast uh, i think this was a good one yes sir so appreciate you again Say goodbye, wave to the camera. They see me? They gonna see you. <laughs> they gonna see me? They gonna see you. Make sure they see me, man. They gonna, you right there in the middle. They don't see you. They got fucking problems. <laughs> okay. My man. Anyway, I'll catch you guys in the My next man. one. Peace. Peace.